Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on Talking Chop, or if you follow me on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K, where I've been tweeting about the major and minor leagues for quite some time now. We have a full crew this evening. Um, you're going to recognize that it's going to be this, a lot of the same faces, but everyone's actually together this time. Uh, Garrett Spain, Garavidek, and Matt Powers are all joining me today. You can follow Garrett at Braves MILB. You can follow Garav at GVDAC, or you can follow the Braves Reddit account at Braves Reddit, all one word, or you can follow Matt at Matt Powers31. So, Matt, you doing okay, buddy? Oh, yeah, I'm doing great, especially since I'm about to go and see a pitcher possibly throw 100 miles an hour tomorrow. I'm Pearson from Jay's. Yeah, Matt's going to be making the rounds a little bit. It's going to be a little hard to see some Braves games up his way, but he doesn't mean he doesn't try to get the games. Uh, Garav, how's the Georgia Tech game going? Uh, I'm actually just drinking some wine right now, so life is good. <laughs> yeah, Garov's a, a big Georgia Tech fan, so it's a big night for him, and he's also had a, a pretty interesting week, I would imagine, right at his work, so he's probably relaxing a little bit while we talk some minor league baseball. And last but not least, Garrett, what's been going on, my buddy? Not much. Just got back from a couple of trips. Went out to uh, Rome last weekend, so got a lot of stuff on those players, which is exciting. It's a pretty stacked lineup now. Yeah, actually, you and I are going to be talking a bit because I saw Rome at a different time than you did, and I want to kind of see what your thoughts are. But um, for those who aren't aware, my apologies, we couldn't go, we couldn't uh, record last week. One of the only openings I had to go see Rome, uh, which has Bryce Ball and has Michael Harris and guys I haven't seen in live yet, was last Thursday, and my week beyond that was just a total nightmare in terms of scheduling. So we couldn't really record last week. That was my fault. I apologize. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna try to get everyone caught up on kind of what we've been up to, what's been going on. Uh, the big news being that AFL rosters were, were announced, and we'll kind of go through that after we talk a little bit of our about our trip to, our trips to Rome. Uh, Garrett, who were the guys for you when you were in Rome that really kind of stood out to you? Because I mean, this I think this is your first trip to Rome this year, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I haven't been down uh, too much, but yeah, um, I mean the guys. That, Stood out. The obvious one, if you if you follow me on Twitter, the obvious one is uh, Michael Harris. I was extremely impressed by him. Um, you know, Langoliers. I didn't get to see him behind the plate, so unfortunately, I didn't get to see very much from him. Bryce Ball. You know, you he impressed pretty well. I mean, top to bottom, all those players are decent. You know, so a lot of them. I have a lot of good things to say from that trip. Yeah, Michael Harris is an interesting one. I I've, I kind of tweeted out some of my thoughts here. Um, and, I, I mean, I, look, there's these are all guys that we've talked about quite a bit. Uh, every time I see Greg Cullen, all he does is hit the ball hard. Uh, I don't know if that was your experience when you saw him, but it seems like he just hits the ball hard, has really good at-bats, and plays a pretty good second base, too. Uh, probably a guy that should have been promoted already, if we're just being honest about it. Same thing with Justin Dean. Um, th- those are some of the usual suspects. Uh, I saw Langley's behind the plate once, and then the other game was Ricardo was a Ricardo game. 
and you know he's he looks fine. He's been looks like he's hitting better. Um, seems to be more comfortable at the plate, seem, and just seems to be really adept behind the plate as well. S- still really like him. Uh, it's gonna for me. It's a lot for a lot of these guys that we're gonna talk about. Is just a matter of like what happens after instructs and going into next year because. I mean, Garrett and I have been doing this for a better part of five seasons, and all of us have been around for a long time. And the one thing that has taught us is that draft season, like draft season numbers and draft season debuts and what the guys look like, mean very little in a lot of ways. <laughs> so many things change because a lot of times they, they once they get down to instructs or once they, you know, get into the hands of some off season coaching and things like that, they make changes. And sometimes those are good, sometimes they're not. And but for me, the guys that I mean, Michael Harris kind of stood out as a guy that had a lot of athleticism, and you know, for a guy as young as he is, he's a he's a prep bat, and he got he's already gotten to Rome, and he's been holding his own. I mean, you know, there'll be some at bats that kind of make you scratch your head, but that's not unexpected. And he was hitting the ball well, he runs around well, played the outfield well, I really liked him, and I'm interested to see kind of what happens with him going forward is the kind of whether or not they maybe give him, start him off in Danville next year, or they just keep him at Rome. I don't think he's, I mean, I don't think he's the guy that you'd like jump up to high A or anything. He's definitely a guy I want to see get more at bats and kind of move a little bit slowly, but really liked him. Um, Bryce ball stood out. Did you, how many games you, how many games did you, I'm seeing too? I ended up only getting to one, uh, ball. I actually didn't get to see too much of ball because, uh, Swings he was swinging very early. Uh, I think he was kind of hunting fastballs early because he knows he's not. You know, if he gets behind in the count, they're they're not throwing him another fastball. And uh, but when he makes contact, I mean, it it goes. He's he's a strong man down there. Yeah, it, uh, everything I've heard is that he is getting a steady diet of breaking balls even early in counts. Like they they just do not like he he seems like he's trying to hunt hunt those down, but um the. The thing that stands out obviously is his size. I mean, like he's listed at what is it six six two thirty five? I think that's right. Yes, yeah, something like and, that. Yeah. I would take the over. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, he's huge. He, I, he next to Dean and I, standing next to Dean in warmups, and I think I mean Dean's five eight, but I don't even know if it was all the way to Bryce Ball's shoulders. I mean, Ball is a human being. Bryce Ball looks like he could be playing for Clemson tonight. I mean, he probably could, honestly. Um, he's like, and, and, and he dwarfed everybody on the field. It's not, I mean, like, the Justin Dean comparison's funny, but, he, like, ev- like, he, everyone looked small compared to this guy. Um, the thing I liked about him, though, was that there's, like, guys who are that big that look kind of almost out of proportion and it looks like it doesn't really work. Uh, but he looks like an athlete, you know what I mean? And he moves around pretty well, too. I didn't really see – it wasn't any chances for him to, like, make, like, diving plays at first or, you know, have to do anything like that. But he looked perfectly adept at first. He, you know, whenever there were, like, grounders that required, like, you know, that required him to kind of move up and a little bit of some rotations happening, everything went according to plan. I really liked what he was – I saw at first, but, again, I didn't really see anything that makes me go, wow, that's a plus defender at first or anything. And I, you know, based on, you know, kind of what I've heard is that, you know, don't expect, like, a plus defense, but he, he'll be fine at first. Um, for those who are kind of wondering if he could play left field, uh, as Matt has adeptly pointed out, uh, probably doesn't have the uh, probably doesn't have the arm for it. Probably doesn't have the mobility to do it. But the bat's real because the the, the the I know the approach that Garrett saw was he was kind of hunting fastballs earlier in counts. But what I saw was honestly like him like you know working some deep counts and you know wasn't trying to turn on everything. A lot of these big power guys and these big power hit batters, they sell out like they're kind of swinging out of their shoes and just trying to hit the ball 490 feet, and sometimes they do, and that's exciting. Um, But the important part of it was that he like would get deep in counts, and he was like perfectly content to either draw a walk or to hit a line drive up the middle or to kind of go the opposite way a bit. He did turn on one. He hit a hard double. It was, it was, it was over 100 miles an hour exit velocity. I can't remember exactly what the number was. But hit the ball hard, like all the way to the wall, and you know, everyone I've everyone I talked to is that batting practice is a show when this guy is there, and when he really does turn on a ball, I honestly want to wish he would turn on more. You know, just like every like once in the bat, just kind of you know strap in and try to and try to really like get, get into his game power. And I worry a little bit, a little bit, that that approach of him kind of like kind of like that Freddie Freeman approach that you won't see as much power. Um, because he's like content to go the opposite way or content to kind of get his single or take his walks that you won't see as much of that game power. But I mean, it's an easy 60 or 65 and that seems to line up with what I'm hearing. It might be more than that, but you know, in terms of game power, it's a little, you know, it's a little bit trickier for me, even though we saw a bunch of it when he was in Danville. Um, anyone else yeah. that kind of caught your eye? 
I mean, I think I definitely want to talk more about Michael Harris. Just kind of what I saw with him was that he actually, you know, I kind of went in with the expectation, all right, this is a guy that's in over his head. He's going, you know, look for the athleticism. He's kind of going to get dominated. But for me, he had one at bat that was kind of iffy. He had made a poor play in the outfield one time. But other than that, I mean, he was, if not the very, if not the best player on the field, very, very close to it for that entire game. And it was one game. You can't take too much from it, but you know, he shows a good eye at the was really laying off close pitches. He, you know, he was a little aggressive on pitches in the zone, but he was laying off well. He runs well. He made two or three amazing plays in the outfield. He's got a great arm. He hit, and then, uh, the one play, he hit it foul. He yanked it just a little bit, but, uh, line drive, I think it was sixth or seventh inning. He hit one foul that, I mean, it was gone off the bat. It was 105 off the bat, which, you know, an 18 year old is very impressive. And, uh, next couple pitches later, took one the opposite way, hit it over the left fielder's head, double. I mean, he showed a lot to me, you know, going back, Colin, I mean, all that dude does is hit. I mean, he, I don't know how anybody gets him out at that level because he can square up pretty much anything you throw him. Um, and another player that I believed in for a little bit, stopped believing but he actually looked really good was out of the bullpen was Luis Mora. It was, it's an easy 100 miles per hour. He gets good spin rates on him. His slider looks really, really good. If he can just, I know he won't, but he's some of the best stuff I've seen out of a reliever. If he could, whenever he knows where the ball is going, which is very, very, very rare, when he knows where the ball is going, nobody can touch him. Yeah, the guy throws gas. Uh, I've never seen him have the ability to command that fastball to save his life. If I'm just being honest about it, but that kind of life, that 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 the kind of life he gets on his pitches is no joke, and definitely something to keep. I mean, a guy that throws that hard and has that ability, there's something to like think about for sure. Um, but we've kind of dwelled enough on Rome. Uh, short answers. I really like Bryce Ball. Really like Harris. The the guys that we've liked all year down in Rome, still like him a lot. Um. I can't remember who the starter was for Rome. Oh, it was a uh, it was a uh, Dilmer Mejia, and it was not a particularly good Dilmer Mejia night. Uh, apparently, the eighty nine to ninety one that he throws wasn't doing the job on that particular night. And it was also a game yeah. that I never felt like it never it would ever end. Um, so, the uh, next thing we're going to talk about is the Arizona Fall League. For those who are not aware, uh, I assume that if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably aware of what the Arizona Fall League is, but maybe you don't. Uh, the Arizona Fall League is a short season, like fall league that happens during the off season after the minor league season ends uh, a little bit different this year is the terms of wins it starts. But uh, basically the team teams have X number of players they can send uh, the, the, how many players from which levels they can send. Those are, there are like specific rules in place and we're not going to kind of like dwell on all that nonsense, but the, the league is starting significantly sooner this year, uh, which I think is good because it doesn't mean that that means that the pitchers that are like leaving minor league, leaving the minor league season, they don't have to like completely revamp up again to go back to go out to fall league and then they, then they can ramp down and enjoy the rest of their off season. They're kind of still already sort of stretched out. They're already kind of in shape for games and things like that. And this allows them to kind of end the, end the off season sooner and allows them to kind of enjoy a full off season rather than having it broken up into two pieces. So I was really happy about it, but the fall league, um, there's AFL rosters were released. And I gotta pull them up here. Uh, the short version for me is that there aren't, not a particularly great class, but Matt, I wanna go to you first. Um, what were your thoughts on the, the Braves representatives that are gonna be in Scottsdale this year? I have to say I was a little underwhelmed by the overall group. I was a little surprised that we weren't sending any of the top prospects. And by top prospects, I'm talking about the top three. But I'm interested in seeing the two out. Fielders, Justin Dean and Trey Harris. I'm a little disappointed that Dean, who's going to be 23 next year, wasn't tested above low A at any point because he's done more than what you'd expect him to do. And Trey Harris obviously has had a great year, so you just want to see him continue that against such a high-level competition with that kind of a spotlight on him. Obviously, I'm interested in Grayson Janista to see if he can continue what he did once he got promoted to double A. I mean, his time in Florida was pretty rough, but he rebounded pretty well. <laughs> so that's one guy that interests me as well. And on the pitching side, really, I mean, it's relievers. Uh, Brandon White is a, possibly a guy, so I'm interested in seeing him. 
uh, Isabel Hernandez, Doc's favorite guy. <laughs> I, I Love you, Doc. Bring that up every time we come up with Days Bell, but he's obviously a guy I'm interested in getting a chance to look at in a bigger situation. And uh, Roni, I want looking to see just how his breaking ball plays against that kind of competition. There's nobody on that roster, at least from the Braves, that really excites you the way that uh, Joey Bart or an Alec Bohm. Or some of these other guys on that roster, um, Helio Ramos from the Giants, uh, even um, Thomas Zapucky from the Mets. But those are, those are some other guys from other teams on that same surprise roster. I mean, not surprise Scottsdale, but uh, the Braves are just sending some second tier guys this year. It looks like. Ralph, what about you, man? What are your thoughts on the AFL? The AFL representatives? Anyone that you're kind of really want to keep an eye on? Yeah, really. Matt kind of hit the hit the nail on the head there, but I, I'm most intrigued by uh, Brad Roney. You know, he's struggled with staying on the field. He's always had massive strikeout, uh, massive strikeout numbers, but he's struggled to stay on there. So I, I'm not surprised they're there. He's he's been sent there to get some more reps in over the course, uh, you know, just to get some more added uh, endings on his arm because he just hasn't pitched that much recently. Uh, absolutely no surprise, Grayson Janista, because you know he. Everyone knows how he's rehauled his swing for the uh, the season. Just extra reps on that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nothing sexy. These are these are a bunch of guys that are you know fr- kind of fringe prospects outside of Trey Harris. I think Trey Harris is becoming a legitimate one, but everyone else is kind of fringe at this point. Um, I guess they just really want to get their eyes on some of these guys who could potentially be you know major league caliber, but not you know major impact but more role players so it's not the sexiest of of people or sexiest of of roster set but i kind of understand plus you know you want to see you know ian anderson christian fashe andrew waters but they're all they're all doing their thing in triple a they've all put in a lot of innings so i'm not too i mean i'm not shocked that they're not going to be sent there garrett what about you buddy yeah i mean it's it's underwhelming i don't so a little bit boring, but I like the idea of, you know, the top three guys, they've all, you know, Anderson, Pache, Waters, they've all stayed healthy. They've all played a lot. They're about to play in the playoffs. I I don't see any reason to send them because it that's just a little bit too much, I think. I definitely, the one for me that's the most, well, I don't know if it's exciting, but the one that's most interesting is Roni because every time I've watched him pitch, it's, he gets the most, ridiculous swings on his speed it's stuff. Hilarious. And <laughs> he, he, he it's hard to, he struggles to control it, but it's, it's unbelievable. He makes kids look like fools up there. Uh, yeah, for a while, the, Roni was like one of our like top relief prospects, wasn't he? Like, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I remember yeah. the rankings. Exactly, yeah, yeah. But. He was like 13 strikeouts per nine. I mean, he had a lot of walks, but he, nobody can hit him. When he throws it in the zone, no one can get him. Yeah, I think at one point he was in AAA like two years ago. He had like a 13K per nine and like a four four walk per nine rate or something like that. And he was just extremely intriguing. And then he continually got hit by injuries, and you saw him slowly fall down those lists. But hopefully he's healthy, like fully healthy, because like a healthy Roni is really is a really intriguing relief prospect. I like, yeah. I like, the Dean, I like Dean there. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was saying I like Dean there because he really needs a test, and this is really going to be by far the best competition he's played, having him in that position. Yeah, I I think this is a way of, like, almost apologizing to Dean for not promoting him this year in a lot of ways. Um, uh, go ahead and mute mics, guys. Um, but the, uh, the thing about Dean is that, you know, he, he's been deserving of a promotion. He's been one of the better hitters in the entire – like South Atlantic League all year long, you know, steals a bunch of bases, has more power than I think he's given credit for. And the important thing for me is being able a guy with his skill set, but doesn't have that pedigree as a prospect, being able to see if people see that against higher levels of competition and, and the Arizona Fall League is definitely a higher level of competition. I don't think it's as impressive of a league as it normally is, just overall. There's some there's I mean I think Joe Odell's a part participating and there's gonna be some other guys who are like kind of higher level names. But being able to see him against with all all eyes on him 
and getting regular playing time against these against these sorts of guys. Trey Harris is kind of in the same in the same boat. Is that if they can compete against those guys and excel, I think that they're going to be getting more love than they are currently getting. Um, and I I think that this sets the stage for Justin to make his just go straight to Double A next year in his particular case. Because I don't see a need for him to necessarily go down to Florida. I don't think there's a question about the hit tool as much as how much of it's going to, how impactful it's going to be. And I think that challenging against like those more advanced pitchers after a stint in the Arizona Fall League makes sense to me. Uh, Trey Harris, same thing. He's a guy that's just hit all year. Uh, in terms of like being super impactful, that's kind of trended, trended down a little bit since he's gotten the double A, but he's just continued to hit. And again, seeing a guy like that going against like kind of some of the better prospects in the game, seeing what he does, seeing how productive he is. That allows the Braves to kind of make some decisions of what they're going to do with him. Although I imagine a, we could see a Trey Harris and Justin Dean outfield again uh, in double A. That, that makes some sense to me, at least to start next season. But there's no real talent. The, uh, with Grayson Janista, it's worth mentioning that it's already been kind of known that he's going to be playing a lot of first base in the Arizona Fall League. But that's not necessarily indicative of a position change like going forward, it's just kind of that's the easiest way to get him on the roster uh, since there's just not a lot of first-base prospects that want to go to the Arizona Fall League, and this allows him to get a bunch of at-bats while playing first base. So before a lot of people tweeted us saying, you know, Janice is only playing first base, what's going on? Can he not play the outfield? It's more has to do with just giving him the playing time there. He, I'm, I'm sure he'll probably see some time there when they're spelling guys and there's like travel squad games and all this other nonsense that happens down there. Uh, I like the I like the relievers that are going, um, particularly uh, Roni's really interesting. I still like Bell Hernandez, but I don't necessarily love him. Uh, as a prospect, and the fact that he's stayed in Florida all year and hasn't moved up and hasn't necessarily, you know, shot up any shot up in the minor leagues is kind of indicative of that. But he's a guy that's been performing well, and I think that he's going to get uh, some chance to get some innings against some really high level guys, and maybe he can show out a little bit and potentially put himself on the map for next year. And Brendan White, other than a recent stretch, he's actually looked really good this year. I've heard some good things, and it seems like the numbers kind of bear that out. You know, again, the most recent strike hasn't been particularly great, but overall, I like him a lot. And I think that Garrison Schwartz, honestly, is just a a guy that they just needed to fill for an off outfield roster. He's actually a, not particularly high on the list of guys that I would send there. But we have this happens with the AFL every year. Is we're like, why is this guy going? And it has more to do with the fact that the Braves have to send a certain number of people and that they have to fill out these rosters. We've seen catching prospects do this, get guys that we aren't necessarily super high on, but they have the ability to play the game. Um, the way the way that it works is that teams draft these positions. Um, you're drafting starting outfield, backup outfield. So the Braves have three outfielders, for example. Just I'm guessing that third outfielder is more of a last resort type pick that just fell their way. Yeah, I think that sounds that that that, that seems likely, right? Um, and as for the, look, Pache played last year. It didn't, it was like next to no chance that he was going to do it this year. Muller was there last year. He wasn't going to do it again. Uh, same thing with several relievers that went last year. They weren't going to go back. And I just think that guys like Waters and Anderson and, you know, they just, they wanted to have that longer off season because Anderson's probably going to be competing for a rotation spot coming out of spring and they don't, they might limit his innings a bit, which makes some sense. And for Waters, you know, he's a guy that's going to be playing in the playoffs soon, has played a whole bunch this year. He had to mash his way up to, up th- from double A into triple A and, you know, giving him some rest isn't the worst idea either. And not putting him in the AFL gives him the option if they want it to get, make him a September call-up. I'm not saying that's going to happen, and I'm sure someone's going to say that I said it was going to happen now that I said it out loud. But, you know, he's been hitting really well in AAA, and if that's an opportunity, if they want to have that option available to them if they need it, then it makes sense to not put him on the roster because, again, if he's going to be competing since the league is starting earlier and there's a chance that he's going to be competing in you know in through September and into October – you know, on the Braves, then they probably wouldn't put him on the roster, which again makes sense to me. Uh, but if you're looking for like guys that are like have a chance to like really show, show out and like become like, you know, these breakout stars like we've seen in the past, I don't think that's likely. Although the, the outfield group in particular with, uh, with Harris and Dean, those two guys are guys that I'm going to be watching closely just because they have just kind of come out of nowhere to like really establish themselves as legitimate prospects. And if they can really show out, that would be an excellent. Uh, addition to the system. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just go on to the kind of the top performers from the past couple weeks since we haven't done this in the past couple weeks. Matt, who are your kind of a couple of your guys that have caught your eye in terms of like performing really well in the minor leagues? 
I mean, in the last couple of weeks, I think the guy that's really emerged the most for me has got to be Philip Pfeiffer. I mean, the way that this guy has pitched has just been off the charts. He's not looked... I mean, he's a guy that most of us wrote off at the beginning of the year. A guy who really had not done much in a couple of years. He was never a huge prospect. Always just a relief guy. I think last year he pitched to in AAA a 6 eight, nine ERA or something like that in about 40 innings. So he had a large enough sample of work. He had nearly as many walks as strikeouts, and his numbers were just awful. He comes in this year and gets a chance to actually start some games and actually dominate it a bit and got a chance to pitch in Florida, then got a chance to pitch in Mississippi, even got a couple games recently in Gwinnett out of a relief role, but overall in the year, he's got this 3-2-3 ERA in 92 innings. He struck out 110 guys in 92 innings to just 23 walks. I mean, last year in AAA, he had a 37-29 to strikeout to walk rate. So he struck out, what, 73 more batters and walked six less hitters over 52 more innings if you take his entire year this year versus just his AAA numbers. So that's incredible. Over his last 10 outings, which date back to um, July 13th, he's got a 142 ERA, 77 strikeouts in 57 innings. Now, this is obviously over multiple levels, but that just goes to show you how dominant he's been. He's given up 40 hits in those 57 innings. So you can't ask for much more than that. And then if you look at his teammate there, Drew Waters, I mean... What's he done in his last 10 games? All he's done is hit 308 at the AAA level, dating back to um, August 18th, I want to say that was. He's had a couple multi-hit games in there. He doesn't have any home runs in that time. Uh, he's got five doubles and a homer in his 21 games so far in AAA, but he's hitting over 300 in AAA at this point. 302, 365, 395 is his triple slash line. So for a kid that's just 20 years old and won't even turn 21 until basically the new year. I mean, you can't ask for any better production from him. So those are the two guys for me that have really stood out in the last couple of weeks. Garrett, what about you, man? Garrett. Did we lose Garrett? Hello. Hello. I'm here. Sorry. I got to get used to the whole unmuting mic thing. Uh, so for me, over the last couple of weeks, player not really prospect, well, definitely not prospect anymore, but the way Johan Camargo has played since he was demoted has been, uh, pretty ridiculous. Uh, yeah, he's hitting over five, yeah, he's hitting over 512 games. Uh, so I think he won't get back in the major leagues pretty quick. Now on to actual prospects. Bryce Wilson. He had nine strikeouts over seven innings in his last game. Over the last set six games he's had, he's had a sub-one ERA in his last six starts over 40 innings. Uh, he's really done good to cut down. He was having a lot of issues with home runs. He only has one home run over his last 40 innings. He's not walking a lot of guys. I'm, you know, he's definitely pushing to try to get more chances. You know, once we get into September and going into next year, he's really pushed his way kind of back onto the map with the way he's on the stretch. I've been, you know, I've always kind of been a bit hesitant on Bryce. You know, I didn't see third pitch. I didn't see, I just didn't see a major starter, but he's been performing lately. And if he can keep this up, he can, you know, I mean, guys can work with two pitches. It's difficult, but it can happen. And Bryce has done nothing but succeed in his career. And, you know, if he can continue to put together performances like this, he's going to get another shot. And I'd like to see him get another shot and try to prove that he can succeed. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about Bryce. I'm glad you did because, like, he's been pretty insane. And to, to only give up one home run, I actually didn't know that, is that he only gave up one home run in his last 40 innings. I'm actually, like, I'm actually going to have to check to see if that's even true. Like, it doesn't even feel – and that, that's not like a knock on, like, Bryce or anything. It's just the AAA ball is, like, in – like, just you just give up home runs. It's just a thing that happens. And it's kind of wild that that's actually, that's actually true, particularly with Bryce. Um, Gaurav, what about you, man? If I'm having to choose people that they haven't uh... – you know, Alex Jackson. You don't have to. Well, I mean, I gotta, gotta spice things up, right? Alex Jackson. Shoemaker. 
Uh, I'm going to start off with Alex Jackson. He's been hitting so well that someone asked DOB if he could actually hit 250 in the majors, which I think made all of us laugh. Uh, but over his last 10 games, he's got no a chance. Yeah, no, no chance. He's got a 1.333 OPS, uh, three homers. He's been hitting real well. Um, Shailene Aliers over in, uh, over in Rome's got a 9.55 OPS over his last 10 games, but I kind of want to stick more towards pitching and, and bring up a few, a few players that have been you know, that have done really well. Uh, Jared Johnson is someone that, you know, yep. he, he surprisingly made that jump up to Danville very quickly and he only had, he only pitched once, but a crazy one, uh, 0.111 OPS against in that one, uh, in that one outing. Uh, Caleb Dirks, who I've always been intrigued by, uh, as a relief prospect has done well over his last 10. I believe that's two outings. He's got a .077 slugging percentage against during that stretch and a .220 OPS against. Uh, Casey Kalich, I think all of us are really high on him as a relief prospect. Uh, I like him. He, he did, he's done, you know, outstanding, uh, so far this year over his last 10 games. Again, he's got a .367 OPS against. So uh, I know it's a little weird to highlight a few uh, a few relief prospects, but you know they're they're doing well, and I think they deserve to get a shout out. Some guy named Darren O'Day. Uh, Never he heard of him. Don't think parents, he exists. <laughs> and he and he did well there too. But you know, it's especially towards the end of the season, you think some of these guys are going to start to slow down, especially you know, especially pitchers. So the fact that these guys are still doing well is very promising. Yeah, relievers need love too. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I do wish I could talk about, uh, Corbin Klaus more, but unfortunately, uh, it sounds like his shoulder's been really been giving him, like his shoulder's been giving him issues all year. Uh, it sounds like they're shutting him down for the year. Uh, no surgery or anything from everything that I've heard, but it looks like we're not going to hear about him, which is a shame because, I mean, with his kind of stuff, he was a guy that I was really looking forward to as possibly at least as a September call up, but unfortunately his health wasn't really allowing for it. And, you know, hopefully next year we're going to be talking about him possibly being in the bullpen because he's a guy that we have, like, liked for a long time. Uh, you guys have had to make this really hard in terms of, like, names that haven't been named yet. Uh, but there's a couple guys, and Matt's going to cringe, so you keep that mic mute, buddy. Muted, buddy. But Braden Shoemake, uh, over his past six games, six-game hitting streak, multiple, a couple multi-hit games there, um, has looked better at, at better at Mississippi. That first four-game stretch he had where he, like, had one hit and, like, you know, something like 15 at-bats or something like that, that wasn't particularly good, but seems to have kind of found his way in terms of what he's going to be, or at least closer to it in Mississippi. I imagine he'll probably start there again next year before they kind of move him up any further. Um, oddly enough, uh, he, he was a really clean-cut guy when I saw him in Rome, and I just pulled up his Mississippi page, and he looks like somebody that has been like arrested for drunk driving. So we need to talk to him about the you know the photographers they're using for the Mississippi uh, for his Mississippi photo. Uh, and another guy that I like a lot and I'm really interested to see, particularly if he can stick it short, and I want to actually poke um, talk about with him with Matt a little bit is Vaughn Grissom, who is a guy who's like posted a 761 OPS down in, down in the GCL this year, uh, was a little, a little bit of a slower end to the season and GCL, um, and Matt made this note on our document, the GCL, their season is over, uh, because of the hurricane. Uh, there was only going to be another week or so, but with the hurricane rolling through central Florida and I'm not sure exactly what the Florida state league is going to do. Cause it seems like they're going to have to cancel a bunch of games, but I'm sure they'll try to get the playoffs in or something, and then, um, but the, that season's over, so he's done for the year, uh, along with a lot of our favorite guys. But you know, batting 265 over his last 10, he's you know hitting for extra base hits. My question to Matt is, what's he look like at shortstop? Because I actually don't know much about him in terms of just being a fielder. Uh, obviously, I like the bat a lot, but whether or not he's going to stick it shorter or is there a position change in the future? He's definitely a bat first guy. He likes shortstop. I mean, what he said to me in his own words are that shortstop is his first preference, but he'll play wherever he has to play. I mean, he just wants to play, so obviously that plays into it. He he wants to stick there. I think it depends on how he fills out, because you don't know what kind of athleticism he's going to end up having as a bat-first guy. He's probably going to add some strength, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how I see him. I, I think he's most likely going to end up at third base, but I wouldn't rule him out at shortstop. Okay, fair enough. I like it. Um, he, I imagine, he, given how they've moved him, I think he'll start in Danville next year, but it's possible that Rome could be in his future. He's hit well, which is definitely a positive development. Maybe that gives him a chance to be at Rome, but unclear as to kind of what his future is going to be beyond the fact that we like the bat a lot. 
So we'll keep we're gonna someone that's someone we'll be monitoring and kind of thinking about and talking to people about over the course of the off season. Uh, but we did take some mailbag questions, and that's one of our favorite things that we do here uh, for the podcast. But before we do that, we're gonna take a short break for an ad. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, and we're back, and we're going to be taking the mailbag questions. Again, one of our favorite parts is that allows us to take a, cover a lot of topics in a relatively short period of time, uh, make sure we don't forget anything, and we're kind of taking the pulse of what you guys are wanting to talk about. And we always get a lot of really interesting questions when we call it for, for mailbags. And, you know, again, guys, we don't necessarily think to talk about or talk about or issues that we don't really follow up with as much as we'd like. So it's really cool to kind of be able to talk about these things and kind of posit these questions to our, ourselves and so we're not going to be like dwelling too long on any of these. I want to make sure we cover as much ground as possible. But the first question we got was, do you see Acuna or Drew Waters as the right fielder of the future, given that Pache is likely to play center and that one of the other ones is going to be playing left? Uh, Garrett, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, I don't have any idea what they're going to do, but I would assume it'd be Acuna. I mean, he's, you know, the veteran of the group. He's played extremely well in field in Atlanta. I mean, I don't, see any reason to move him off of it at this point. Matt, what about you, buddy? Got to think of Konya. I mean, he's the more athletic of the two, so I think they'd go with him there long-term. I think long-term, his athleticism will play better. Not that Waters is unathletic by any means, but I think Konya is the more athletic, so it would have to go to him. Rob, what about you, man? I think the I think the day before the decision has to be made, uh, whoever the manager is at the time is going to go up to Acuna and ask him what position he wants to play, and then he'll play that position. But I'll, I'll say I'll say I'll go right field, definitely right field. Yeah, I think he's. I think I think you're. I think that's kind of hits the nail on the head. I think that's whatever he wants to play in that situation. That's what he's going to play. I don't think he's necessarily going to like lock in on being the center fielder though. And more importantly, like, right field seems to suit him. It's not only just a matter of, like, the athleticism and what we kind of want out of a right fielder in terms of, of being there defensively, but he, like, ha- kind of has those instincts of, like, looking for outs and what to, and what to do in those situations. Had some really good plays in, uh, in Toronto. And more importantly, an outfield, regardless of the position, that has Pache, Waters, and Acuna is pretty insane defensively. Uh, I think that Waters maybe is the worst defender of those three, and he's a really good defender who could probably play center field if he really wanted to. So you don't really have any bad answers there. And you know, there's some a lot of things have been made about you know the size of left field at SunTrust versus right field, and you know whether that means that you actually want the stronger defender over there. I think it's more likely though that long term, if all these guys are still in the organization, it seems like Pache would be in center, Acuna in right, and Waters in left for me. Um, the next question we got was, what is the projection for Nolan Kingham? Uh, Matt, I'm going to go to you first because I know this has kind of been your guy for a while. I think he's probably a number five starter. I don't think he gets a chance to be a number five starter in Atlanta just because there are so many arms that have higher upside in Atlanta than him. So I think with him, his Atlanta role is most likely a reliever that comes in to try to get some ground balls. Most likely used as a trade piece to be somebody else's five, maybe an outside chance as a number four starter if everything really comes together for him. Garrett, what do you think, man? I am going to go with Matt on this one. He, one, knows more about Kingdom than I do, too. Yeah, I mean, I he's not a 
he's not a good enough starter to push off any of the guys that the Brewers are trying to run up in there. So, yeah, he'll probably – if he starts, it won't be with Atlanta. And Garab, what about you, buddy? Uh, Garrett stole my answer. If he starts, he's not in Atlanta. I don't, I don't see a future for him there, especially uh, as a starter. If he's a reliever, maybe like a, you know, a, um, not multiple guy, but kind of a long inning reliever. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't see a real future for him in this organization. I think, I think it's a whole lot more likely he's traded. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, if, 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 if people are already not fans of guys who don't miss a ton of bats, uh, like in guys who have la- have had significantly higher ceilings than Kingham that has, then you know a guy who gets ground balls has a, a ton of ground balls has a lot of value. There's no question about that. But I've also noticed that he has there's significantly harder contact out of Kingham at times, which really makes it tough in terms of like you know it's not just ground it's not just weak grounders. Sometimes I mean he'll have games where he's great and he'll go eight innings. He'll get like have these like six pitch innings where he only gives up like three weak ground balls. But he also has some where he kind of gets knocked around a bit and it's not necessarily fun to watch. And that makes it tricky, whereas I think that the ceiling there is kind of as a back-end starter, like they were saying. Uh, maybe a, a reliever that's really good at getting ground balls is maybe his role down the line. But you, I think it's more likely that he ends up as kind of a – he's a very fringy prospect right now. And maybe you can get another organization that believes a little bit more in him. But, again – not a guy, a guy that I'm happy to have in the organization, and he, you know, more often than not puts up puts up innings for his team. And who knows, maybe he comes back and he's missing more bats next year, and we like him more. But right now, more of a at best kind of a back end starter prospect, but not a guy that we're necessarily super high on right now. Um, next one, and I'm going to go to Garaf first on this one is who is the highest level prospect not getting the call up in September besides Ian Anderson. So yeah, this is. I mean, this is a super easy answer for me. I still, I, I'm adamant that I don't see. I don't. I don't expect Drew Waters or Pache to make to be the September call-ups. Like the like, what do you really get from it? They'll go through their postseason run with Gwinnett, and then they'll all settle in for a nice little offseason, work on their conditioning, and come back for next season. There's no real reason for them to just kind of sit on a roster, sit in the big league club. I, I, I'm not a professional athlete, so maybe there's you can get a lot of experience doing that, but I don't see why. They should like, I, yeah. I, th- those two definitely. I, I just don't see a world where they're called up. Garrett, what about you, man? I don't really foresee any major prospect call-ups. I think we'll see like Enoa and uh, Jackson, and I really don't know if we're going to see anybody outside of that. There's really no one that they need to bring up, and there's no one that's really. None of their higher level prospects, you know, Waters, Pache, they're not, they're not really ready yet, so I don't see anything to bring any of them up. Matt, what about you, man? I felt pretty decently that Pache was going to be up, but then we signed Billy Hamilton, and that kind of changes everything because the role that you would be promoting Pache to play would be the role that Hamilton's occupying, and why add a guy to the 40 man and give him some service time days when you have a guy who does those things just as well as Pache. Probably even better because as fast as Pache is, he is not really that polished stealing bases while Billy Hamilton actually is. So Hamilton is a better player for that specific role than what Pache is right now. So that is that is like one hundred percent spot on. I totally agree with that. I I was talking it last year. I know I said I wanted Ditter to make the postseason roster to fill that role, but like Billy Hamilton is the perfect postseason fifth outfielder, pinch runner type. I, I I cannot. I am so happy about that signing, and I I it's such a weird thing to say that I'm really excited or happy about the Braves signing a Billy Hamilton. Yeah, he's like kind of the perfect role play guy for them. Um, I think overall, uh, mute mics, guys. Um, the Crazy thing about what we normally see is like, you know, like maybe we get to see these prospects for the first time in September and, you know, we'll get a look at them. But there's a couple problems with doing that this year. And I tend to agree that we're not going to see a lot of high level prospects that aren't on the 40 man roster, especially getting called up is that there are, how do I put it? There are very few guys that aren't on the 40 man roster that don't have a counterpart on the 40 man roster right now that at this moment in time, don't do their role 
in a in a reasonable way. And when you have a forty man roster, where even just to add the guys they've already added, when between adding Echeverria, adding Hamilton, they've had to like kind of do some weird roster stuff, putting guys on the sixty day DL and and moving guys around. They've, they've had to do a lot just to make that happen. Um, I expect Alex Jackson's actually going to probably get called up relatively soon. Seems like they took him out of Gwinnett. Uh, the Gwinnett lineup basically if Cervelli had to go on to the DL, which is, again, that's, a, that's another name that's just gonna be kind of clogging up another roster spot. And you're gonna have to, I mean, you're gonna have to figure out a way to make this catching platoon work until McCann's healthy again and, you know, Tyler Flowers learns how to play baseball again. The, the, the tough thing is that if you're wanting a lot of these guys to really debut in September, you really have to have a need. And right now, for in the case of an Ian Anderson, you really have a, re- a need in the rotation unless an injury happens. Probably not. Uh, maybe is he better than maybe a couple of the options? Maybe, but it's not necessarily a given. He's still figuring things out in terms of throwing the new baseball on Gwinnett. And I think giving him those innings and giving him a chance to do this playoff run that Gwinnett's going to be on, letting him throw a little bit, that has some value to me. And then giving him some rest. I don't necessarily think that managing his innings is the worst idea either. Um, and after that, I mean, you know, yes, there are some guys that are on the 40 man roster that are on our prospects list. Uh, you know, Matt named a couple of, you know, uh, Patrick Weigel is going to be another guy. There's going to be some guys that we know that are going to end up being on those expanded rosters, uh, which is sadly the last year we're going to have expanded September rosters, which kind of makes me sad now that I said it out loud. But the state of the 40 man roster is going to be the, the, the trickiest thing. And I don't think they're going to be doing a lot of adding there. Right now, uh, now when the Rule 5 draft and all that stuff comes up, that's going to be a different matter altogether, but I don't think they're going to preemptively make those moves and try to put those guys in Atlanta for September, particularly when you have this playoff push going. You don't necessarily want guys making their major league debut against the Washington Nationals when you're trying to put them away, um, unless you really had a need for it. The next question we got was, uh, what do y'all think of Philip Pfeiffer's insane run as a starter in high A and double A. Uh, Matt, you, you already kind of shared your thoughts on this, but I kind of wanted to go to the other guys. Uh, Garrett, what are your, what do you think of Pfeiffer? Cause I, I'm kind of dumbfounded to be honest. I'm, there's no, I completely thought this guy's just filler. And then all of a sudden he went down to high A and started and he started shutting out guys. I'm like, all right, it's A ball. He's 26, it's A ball. And then he goes to double A and he keeps striking guys out. And after like three games, he goes to triple A. And now he's playing well. And it's like, at, at some point you got to say, hey, he's figured something out. He's turned something around. I mean, it doesn't, you know, just because he's a college guy, it doesn't have to Click immediately. He doesn't have to come in and make it to the major leagues in two years. He's 26. There's still time. I mean, there's, he's always had good enough stuff to pitch in the major league level. And now he's showing that he could be a major league reliever for the Braves. I mean, he has pitched out of his mind. You can't say enough about the changes he's he's made statistically. Rob, what about you, man? I am actually going to take 100% credit for his ascension because I came <laughs> on this podcast not too long ago. Someone had a mailbag question asking, uh, what do we think about Pfeiffer being a starter? And I said, it's because there's nothing else for him to do. And ever since that happened, he has become this elite prospect. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea what's going on with him, but I freaking love it. Congratulations to Phil. He's turned around his entire season, maybe even his career. Like, Kudos. That's just awesome. I'm so, I will happily eat crow. Uh, Matt shared his thoughts on Pfeiffer and kind of, I, I echo those. Uh, and I will say that the thing that I've heard the most about Pfeiffer is that his command of his secondaries has gotten significantly better and that's kind of led to all this swing and miss. And we're not talking like six and seven strikeout games. He's put up some gaudy, like, 15 strikeout games, which is kind of insane. And I never thought, like, I I'd always thought he had decent stuff, but it was always a command issue. And it seems like that command would get away from him and he'd start to have them take stuff off to be able to throw strikes. And that's when he started getting hit hard. And a lot of times it just didn't really work out well for him. So the short answer is, what do we make of it? Honestly, not really sure. Other than commanding your pitches when you have good stuff is generally a good thing. Uh, we saw this with Tuki Toussaint last year. He has the, probably some of the best stuff in the organization. He commanded it really well for a while. He got to the major leagues and made a little bit of noise. And uh, ever since then, he hasn't had any command of his fastball whatsoever, and that makes me really sad. And unfortunately, you have to kind of hold on to that command to kind of continue to <laughs> to to uh, stick in the major leagues. And so far, Pfeiffer has been doing that. And he's been kind of – have they – I know they did in the last start. Has he been handcuffed strictly to Enoa in Enoa's starts to kind of like – I know what he's been doing in Gwinnett. I know it was the way in the last start, but I don't know if that's something they've been doing for a while – 
uh, right offhand. But overall, you know, again, he's a guy that could probably be a play as a reliever, particularly with the, um, I'm almost a little bit scared to try him back out as a reliever since he's been doing so well as a starter. But overall, we're, we're very happy about it, but we're not really sure if it's going to stick yet. Uh, overall though, I mean, he could, he could play a role possibly next year. I don't think it's something that's going to happen this year though. Uh, even if there's a need in the bullpen, I think they're going to try some other guys out there. Um, next question was name a guy outside the consensus organization top 30 who you could see jumping into the top 15 next year. Since Matt already shared his thoughts on the last question, I'm going to let him go first here. Matt, what's up, bud? Makai Baxter. I mean, I don't think he's technically in the consensus top 30 at this point since he was left off the list. So, I mean, he's kind of the obvious answer, especially because all he's done so far since turning pro is hit. I mean, he's a kid that's the age of the kids that are going to be high school seniors this year that are going to get drafted, and all he did in the GCL is hit 300 on the nose with a 402 on base and a 457 slugging, despite being significantly younger than the league average. I mean, if you look at him, he's 2.4 years younger than the average player in the GCL this year, and he still hit 300 with a over 400 on base percentage and a 457 slug. Gaurav, what about you, man? I'm definitely going to take the easy way out and say the exact same thing. I, the only reason he wasn't in a—I'm pretty sure the only reason he wasn't in our top 30 is because he hadn't signed. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's maybe cheating, but you know this kid—he could be special. He's a monster of a human being already at the age of 18, already hitting the ball well, showing a good eye at that age with that, like Matt said, with that 402 on base percentage. Like, let's freaking go! I'm—I'm I'm excited about this draft class. I did not think. After day one, I was like, what the F? But after, they, they totally killed round three, like, plus. Like, I'm so excited about next year's draft. I'm excited about Rome. Like, there are a lot of things to like about this draft. And long story short, I will definitely take the cheap way out and save action as well. Garrett, what about you, man? Well, since they have already discussed Backstrom at length, I'm going to go with Ty Owens. Um, he, Ooh, I was a little like bit low, bit low on him at the draft, but he has gone to he went to the GCL, he killed it. He went to the Danville, he killed it. He should get a start at Rome next year. And I mean, if he plays like he has. He's got the he's got the stuff in the fastball and the slider to easily sail through low A. If he goes in and he plays like he has. Uh, He's, he's going to fly up prospect list next year. I'm extremely excited about Owens. He's probably my favorite pitcher from this draft. I like both those picks. Um, I will say about Backstrom, and I've actually talked to Matt about this, is that I'm not as all in, and I'm actually not sold that he would have made the top 15 because I don't know. If, I don't know if Wayne would because because Wayne generally is in the camp of if you know like proximity proximity to the majors matters, and I think that would have pushed him down his list, but. And I won't speak for Wayne, like, but I and I suspect that I wouldn't have had him in the top fifteen. I'm not sure where I would have had him if I'm just being honest about it. I, I chose not to think about it until he signed. Um, I was kind of focused on just making sure my rankings were where I wanted them to, without having to think about external factors. Overall, though, like those names can be really could be really interesting. The guy that I'm kind of keeping my eye on personally, well, I guess I have two. One is uh, is Vaughn Grissom. Uh, we kind of talked already a little bit about him, but you know. That first kid, I think he'll physically fill out, and he might show up more power last next year, which is a realistic possibility. And I re- and we've had some we've had some graduations, so there's going to be some like weird stuff happening with the list already. And I, I imagine there's a couple guys that are on our top thirty that won't be on there next year, which with the, at least pre, the preseason list. You know, these things always and always change, and they should. But another guy that I think could easily get into the top fifteen, and he might just be there already anyway, is Justin Dean. Uh, I really like the skill set. I think he's really good defensively. I think he's really uh, a, a guy who can hit, who can run, who can field, and that kind of all-around skill set combined with what I expect to be a promotion to uh, to Double A to start the season is going to be a guy that's going to probably going to warrant some more uh, interest, uh, particularly as a top fifteen guy. How much further he goes up, a little bit debatable though. I just want to add the only reason I didn't name those last two guys Eric named is because I was already counting them into the consensus top 30. So that's the only reason I did not mention them. 
so let me look at this question again. The question is whether they could jump into the top 15 next year. So, um, but in terms of guys who are not on there, in terms of not guys who are not in the top 30 at all, uh, another guy that is possible, but not necessarily likely, uh, is going to be Greg Cullen, right? Because he, he barely missed our list. I could see a situation where he could make it there as well. And, because I think I must have just misread the question here, but and those are two guys that, and that's fair. I was thinking just guys that are already not in the top fifteen that are that could make the top fifteen. I like I like that I like Greg Cullen as a potential pick there, and Tyler Owens is another really good guy. And I, I wouldn't sleep on Caden Morton either, although he hasn't really particularly good rookie ball season. Jaron Johnson, and Joey right. Estes. Then I, I guess he's on. I think he was on our top thirty list, but you could. If he goes and he just hits absolutely insane, I'd see Bryce Ball. He's on most people's top 30 list. I see him jumping yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we put him on. Our, yeah, okay, if we're not looking, if, if we're not talking about the top, uh, our top, if we're only looking at our top 30 and we can't include Ball, but no one else has included Bryce Ball yet, I imagine that will change, I think, um, this the, the, when the offseason updates happen. But Bryce Ball is a pretty easy pick, too. Uh, I wrote an article about him for Talking Chop today. Uh, where I kind of outlined what I saw on him, and some people yelled at me, and a lot of people were really happy. That's that's just how the internet works. Um, the next question is, uh, I'm actually going to answer this one because um, I, unless anyone else had anything to add, uh, is there any word about the scouting director or the international scouting director? Uh, as far as I'm aware, there's been no information whatsoever about the international scouting director, which is frankly a little bit concerning, considering how much they're going to have to be doing with the international free agent market next year, they're going to be involved in it. At least they should be. And unless they're just desperately trying to, you know, find the right guy or they're really concerned about, you know, optics and all that stuff like that, they don't really want to share any information about it. I don't know anything about the international scouting director. And Dana Brown's going to be in charge of the scouting department. You know, he might not have the title scouting director. He's, you know, he's going to be the guy in charge of that scouting department. I think Matt's trying to chime in. Yeah, I think um, whether they've announced an international guy or not, they've definitely been making moves just like every other team in the league already has. Basically, all of the top guys for next year, for July 2nd, are already either locked up or about to be declared draft eligible if they do decide to put in that international draft for 2020, as they've been discussing. But, I mean, almost every one of the big players out there is spoken for in some way. Yeah, it's going to be a little tough. I think they're going to have to do a little bit more of a quant- – like going into that second tier of guys that haven't been spoken for and trying to do a quantity approach because they're, they're not going to – at this point, you know, as much as we hate it, the, the, because of all the sanctions, the Braves haven't really been able to be in play on a lot of the big guys unless a really surprise – a big surprise happens. I think they can get a, a big guy, maybe not a top three guy, but I think they can get a big guy because – 50% of the pool, but you can add an extra 50% so they can have about 75% of a normal pool, which is enough to get a big guy or two. Not not one of the top three guys, not like a Poisson would have been this year, or the Martian, but somebody good. Do you think they're going to be able to, like, I think that my, I guess my issue is that we would have known if, they, if the Braves had already been connected to one of the top guys, if that had already happened. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a question of the, having the money available to get a guy, top guy. I just think that, I, I haven't heard of any Top the top guys connected to the Braves. I I think they might want to keep something like that quiet because right now they don't even technically have the money because they have to trade for some of that money if they're going to spend. Well, that's fair, and uh, you know, despite the fact that every uh, every team in the league does it, it's you know they're a little bit under a, more of a microscope now too. Uh, you don't necessarily want to broadcast and, it and saying that you're going to spend this much money when you only have this much money is only going to increase the price to acquire that extra money. Well, that's fair. You know, maybe maybe they maybe they have a plan in place. We'll see. Um, next question is which prospects do you believe will not play another minor league game once the season is over whether they get called up and stay up or they'll make it make the team out of spring training next year. This is actually an interesting question. Uh, Garrett, I'll go to you first. Which prospect do you think that after this season have played their last minor league game if any? I, if I had to pick one, it would be Ian Anderson. I think he has a very legitimate shot to make the team out of rotation next spring. But, I mean, if they do the smart business thing, they'll keep them down, get extra control, all of that junk. But, you know, I mean, I could see Ian making it, especially 
you always, you know, with pitchers, you always have to worry about guys getting injured and needing him. So it would be Ian if it's anybody. Rob, what about you, man? It's it's a really really tough question. Um, I I want to be different and not say Ian Anderson, but I, I just I can't see a world where it isn't him unless uh, unless Jeremy Walker kind of shows out in spring. Maybe like that's the only other guy I can really think of. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got to be Ian Anderson or maybe Jeremy Walker. Matt, what about you, man? Only Anderson is the only answer. I can't see, I mean, maybe Walker, but Anderson is really the only logical explanation unless you're just trying to be different. So I, I, tend, I tend to agree. Uh, now, since this is a prospects question, it's actually relevant to, to consider guys that have already seen ma- major league time. And I think that if you're picking somebody here, it's a guy for a rotation spot. Because I don't think any of the position, I don't think any of the position players are going to make it out of spring training. I could see one of Pacher Waters making the team eventually. But the important thing here is that it's probably a rotation spot. So Ian Anderson's a good pick. Bryce Wilson and Kyle Wright aren't bad picks either. Now, I don't think those are as likely as Ian necessarily, but they both have the added advantage of already being on the 40-man roster, already having some major league experience, so it's possible that the Braves could just go with one of those two guys as a rotation guy. And, you know, both those guys have legitimate stuff. Uh, I've had my issues with Kyle Wright, particularly when he gets the second or third time through an order and kind of what has ex- happens to his execution. And Bryce Wilson, you know, has had issues with the long ball uh, being in the major leagues and has been hit hard at times, but he's looked really good. So if you're picking here, you probably pick a rotation piece. Uh, possibly a bullpen piece, but I don't necessarily see any of these guys that are coming up out of spring training not ever seeing a minor league game again. I definitely think they'll see the major leagues at some point, but in terms of like sticking right away, you probably have to pick a rotation piece here, and I imagine that Ian Anderson's a really... Ian Anderson's probably a sound pick, although I think that the best, if you're betting on it, I would say that nobody is like for sure not going to ever see a minor league game again. Uh, last question, and then we're going to let everyone go, is uh, does the way Trey Harris played this year make it easier to include Pache or Waters in a big offseason trade? Uh, Matt, I'm going to go to you first. No way. Just uh, I like Trey Harris a lot. Uh, uh, on the field, he's a great player. Off the field, he's an interesting person. Likes to talk baseball, but, yeah, just no. You don't trade the guy like Pache, especially, or Waters, because you have Trey. Garage, what about you, man? No. <laughs> well said. Love the analysis. What about Garrett? What about you, man? There's, there's no way. There's no way it could be Jordan Adele. You don't trade prospects because you have other prospects. I mean, they fail so often. You get as many as you can and hope they all work out. It's, but either way, especially not for. I love Trey, but he's. There's no way that he's going to be legitimately better than Pasha Waters. I mean, I guess he could be, but there's a very, very slim chance that he ends up being better than either of those players, so no. If if I if I can add one thing, if this means anything, I think the best person to be traded would be Trey Harris. <laughs> See, that... I, I, this is kind of all I want to add to this, is that there are... No prospect should be untradeable. Sometimes you have more depth where you prefer to trade from a certain position in your minor leagues than others. The Braves have very famously had this all the starting pitching depth, and to trade from that depth makes a lot of sense because they just have a lot of options available to them, and it doesn't necessarily mess up their future plans. That said, if a big offseason deal is to happen, you don't necessarily look at the fate of Trey Harris to make it more or less likely that Pache or Waters is dealt. Ultimately, what matters is the value you're getting back because both Pache and Waters have a large amount of, of value, both just as prospects in terms of players, but also that kind of that value that you expect to get from them in the major leagues versus the number of dollars and worth that you're going to be getting. And that surplus value matters a lot in trades. And I'm sure they're getting, they get calls about those two guys all the time in terms of, you know, like, would this guy be available in a trade if we wanted to make a deal for, you know, X starting pitcher or whoever. And, 
the important consideration shouldn't be what a Trey Harris or honestly, the question uh, did not have Trey's name in there. I assume that's what it's going to be because I don't think Michael Harris is necessarily going to be a guy that that changes anyone's calculus for 2020, considering that he's just a prep bat that just got to Rome. Uh, and the guys were actually pretty funny on the dock trying, trying to like figure out exactly which Harris they were talking about, but we're feel pretty certain it's going to be Trey Harris. It makes it easier to plan for kind of what positions of need you may have because you at least have some pieces, but it doesn't necessarily make trades more or less likely. I think it's more likely that it just what's going to matter to them is that they know how valuable a guy like Pache or Waters is on the trade market, and they've been they've been really hesitant to trade any top prospects. You know what I mean? The, the best prospect they traded the trade deadline was probably Colby Allard. Uh, Joey Wentz is is in that conversation as well, and that that's not one of the guys that you really are hanging your hat on. And I think that they're hesitant to do so, and I think it's because they understand what they value, how much they value those guys. And to pry those guys away would require a real impact player for the roster for 2020 and beyond. I think it would require multiple multiple years of control. I don't necessarily think it has to do with what they have in the minors that goes into that calculus, but making sure they get the value that they want back in the trades. So that's the, that's the short answer to the question. Uh, hopefully that, that kind of helps where our head is. I just don't think necessarily one prospect being in existence in the system necessarily diminishes or make a guy more or less expendable. Uh, it's more about getting the correct value back for the guy. Well, guys, we did run a little bit longer than we have been lately, so we greatly appreciate you listening to us ramble on about prospects and answering all your questions. Really appreciate all the questions. There's a lot of really interesting ones in there about what's what's going on in the minor leagues, and we appreciate how much knowledge really does exist out there in terms of like Braves fandom about the minor leagues and what the interest level is from like basic, you know, like what should I think about Drew, Christian Pache or Drew Waters to the really nitty gritty stuff about how minor league operations work. It really is nice for us that we get to see kind of this depth of interest in this, this weird thing that we've grown to love over the years and have covered for so long. So thank you so much. If you want to support the podcast, please make sure you go to our Twitter page at road, the number two Atlanta. You can become a patron um, via Patreon where you can donate a small money, each month, a small amount of money each month to donate to the podcast, which we disseminate to make sure we can go on trips and cover expenses and all that stuff. It makes the podcast better. It allows us to go on, you know, get more in-person looks and go on and do a lot of really exciting things and grow the podcast. Uh, I will say um, there is one other thing. If you don't necessarily want to donate to the podcast, there is another cause that's been uh, near to dear to our hearts more recently. If you can go to the Talking Chop Twitter page, you have to scroll down a little bit, but there's a uh, young man by the name of Cooper who has had a, a form of cerebral palsy that's been uh, in his life uh, since birth and has been going on for nine years now. He is currently uh, awaiting a medical procedure, which will change his life drastically. Um, you can read more about it on the GoFundMe page that his family set up. Uh, it's actually a really touching story about you know a kid who – uh, has had to deal with a lot in his life, and they finally found a treatment that could make his life significantly better and prolong his life. Uh, if you want to donate to them rather than donate to us, honestly, it's a much better cause than dealing with us, and it, it would really make a difference in a kid's life who, frankly, is going to need, you know, is needs this procedure and is uh, going to be. You know, going to be better for it, but his family needs our, um, our help to do it. So make sure if you just go, you can just go to the Talking Top Twitter page, scroll down a little ways, uh, and donate to that. We would actually really appreciate that as well. I, I just retweeted it to the top account, so if you want to go there, it's right up top either way. Yeah, you can go to Garrett's. Uh, it looks like it's on Garrett's Twitter. I retweeted it earlier today too, so you can kind of find it a little bit everywhere, but it'll be at the top of Garrett's page for at least for a little while since he only tweets about every three weeks or so. Um Thanks again so much, guys. We really appreciate you listening. We've really enjoyed relaunching the podcast. We're still trying to figure out exactly what the content schedule is going to be once the minor league season ends, which is going to be sadly after, well, the, the playoffs are going to be going on, but basically after next week, it's all done, which is very sad. Um, so we're going to be figuring out exactly what we're going to be doing in terms of generating content. I've already talked to a couple guests, and we already have some thoughts about rounding out the rosters and what we thought about certain guys and certain positions. And we'll be doing a lot of that during the offseason, but how often that happens, we'll let you know. Until next time, we'll see you on the road.